from Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way, as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. This passage will be the basis for our reflection this evening. And this Advent, if you are part of our congregation, you know that this year we've been looking at the first four chapters of the book of Hebrews. And the title for the series is Jesus, God, and Man. And if you were to summarize Christmas in four words, what is Christmas? What does the Bible teach about why we celebrate and the meaning of Christmas? Those are all the words you'd need. Jesus, God, and man. The book of Hebrews, maybe more than any other place in the Bible, explains why it is essential for Jesus to be 100% God and to be 100% man. Something that is so mysterious and hard for us to grasp and wrap our minds around, yet the Bible says it's true. Hebrews says why it has to be true. And not only that, it tells us probably more than any other place in the Bible as well what the practical difference it makes that it is true. And it boils down to this. If it's not true, then Christianity has very little to offer us in our real problems, our struggles, and our suffering. But if it is true, Hebrews goes on to tell us that we can have confidence, we can have boldness, we can have hope, no matter how weak we feel, no matter what is happening in our lives. So tonight is my fourth and final message in our Advent series, and the title is Christmas for the Week. I've shared this before, but I love almost all Christmas music, so tonight it's one of my favorite nights because we get to sing like nine carols together, all of which are some of my favorites. I also love the pop music of Christmas. Definitely love like Mariah Carey, All I Want for Christmas, right? That is classic and awesome. I love the classic cozy songs of Christmas like White Christmas and Bing Crosby and all that stuff. And of course, I love the hymns as well. But what can happen to us during Christmas if we're out in the car or if we're out shopping and all these songs are playing kind of in a mix, right? So one moment, and this happened to me the other day in the car, I, I heard the words, ye under life's crushing load, whose forms are bending low with toil along the climbing way with painful steps and slow. And that is... Some intense language, crushing, toil, pain. That's all from It Came Upon a Midnight Clear. And then that song was over, and I was thinking about that, and the next song was Jingle Bells. And Jingle Bells, Jingle Bells, oh, what fun it is to... And I, you know, I thought, wow, those songs are very different. One is talking about some very real stuff, and the other one is light and fluffy and, and happy but very different. And during Christmas, it can all get kind of blended together into one maybe sentimental, sappy, kind of cozy 
thing, a Christmas spirit kind of a thing. But the reason for Christmas, according to Hebrews, the reason why the Son of God became human is really not cozy or sentimental at all. It's very serious. It's very much tied to the hardest and most difficult times in our lives when we feel the lowest and the most weak. So tonight, I do hope that everybody has a cozy and warm and happy Christmas together and that, kids, you get all the Christmas presents that you dreamed of. But I hope for myself and I hope for all of us more than that. I hope we all might take this time to reflect and consider what it means to have a God who can sympathize with our weaknesses. So just two reflections from this passage. One, it tells us that God came to us in weakness. And two, it tells us we come to God in weakness. So God came to us in weakness. The Christmas story, we just heard it read together in the Gospel of Luke. It's a story of contrasts. And these contrasts are easy to miss especially if you're really, really familiar with the story of Christmas, or even if you're just unfamiliar. Maybe that was one of the first times you've heard the Gospel of Luke tell that story. Luke begins the story, here are the details, with Caesar Augustus. That was in Luke chapter 2, verse 1. It says this was the, the setting into which Jesus was born, into the settings when the Caesars ruled the Roman Empire. They were some of the most powerful people in history who can order everyone to be counted in a census. No matter what you're doing, stop what you're doing. If you have to go to your hometown, too bad. If you're nine months pregnant, too bad. Get up, go to your town, and be counted. Who can do that? Well, a very powerful person can do that. And that's what the Caesars were, and that's what they did. And why did they do it? So they could take everybody's money. It was about taxes. It was about making sure that Rome had all the taxes it needed to be the empire it was. It was for the Caesar, for his empire, for his glory. Last week, uh, we celebrated Christmas with our family, and we were remembering, our kids are grown up now, uh, but we were remembering when they were young and when all of our kids' cousins were young. Our tradition was to take out the Gospel of Luke that we just read, And then assign roles to all of the kids and all the cousins, and everybody had a part to play. And so we would read the story, and then we would pause, and then they would let the kids act out that part. They would run all around the house and get their costumes and all that and come to perform. And one of the the cousins, he always ended up in the role of Caesar. He, He loved to be Caesar. And so we got to the part where we said, Caesar Augustus declared a census. And his part was just to stand up and go, census. And he loved doing that. He was really good at it. It's always, always cute, always funny. But in the story, we realized that's all that it took. This one man on earth to stand up and go, census. And people had to obey. People had to go and be counted. And that's power. That's the setting Luke wants us to know into which God came into the world the all-powerful, the almighty God who made everything, what's he going to do about this Caesar? What's he going to do about this empire? 
That's ruling over the people of Israel, the people who have been waiting for the promised Messiah. They've been subjugating them for years. How is God going to come onto the scene of human history? And Luke tells us how Jesus, the Son of God, was born in an animal stall. He was laid in a feeding trough because Caesar said his parents had to go be counted. Even though Mary was nine months pregnant, Joseph had to go, and he took her with him. We step back and think about those contrasts. That's not a very powerful entrance for God Almighty into human history, is it? God could have chosen any other way to enter in. He could have went right to Rome, been born on the footsteps of Rome. He could have just come, maybe not even as a baby, right? We could think of all other ways where he steps up and he says to Caesar, no, you're not going to do a census because I'm God. Well, that would have been a more powerful way to make an entrance. But this is the way that he came. It seems like a very weak entrance into the world for God Almighty. To be born into the world helpless, weak, and small, and powerless. Why? Well, Hebrews tells us why. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. It's a strange way to phrase it. The double negative there is to emphasize the point that we do have a high priest who is able to sympathize with our weaknesses. Here Jesus is called a high priest because the job of a high priest is to bring God to people and bring people to God. And Jesus is the only person, the only one who can do this job perfectly. This is saying, this passage is saying, Jesus came into the world weak and small and helpless and vulnerable so that he can sympathize with every human weakness. The weakness of needing others. We need other people in our lives, especially when we're babies. They need to feed us and change us. Jesus knows that weakness. He was a baby who depended on other people. He needed the prayers of other people. In some of his weakest moments, he said to his friends, would you pray for me? He knew the weakness of getting tired, of needing food, of getting sick, of losing energy, the weakness of having limits, the weakness of being tempted to anger and fear and anxiety and depression and doubt and selfishness. He sympathizes with all of it. If God wanted to tell the human race, if he wanted to tell all of us, I understand. I get it. I know what it's like to be weak. I sympathize with you when you're weak and weary and struggling. You can come to me with all of it, and you will know that you will be understood. If God wanted to tell us that, how could he do that? He's God. All-powerful, self-existent, almighty, zero weaknesses in God. How can God sympathize? How could he possibly know? what it's like to be a human being in our weakness. The theologians note that God's omniscience is not enough, the fact that he knows everything. No, that's not enough. He had to feel weakness from the inside to be able to sympathize. Jesus, the Son of God, became human. I just want to ask you this evening, is this your picture of God? That he so wanted us to know 
I know. I understand. I sympathize with human weakness that he became one of us. That he can say to you, not just I know you're weak and struggle and it's hard, but I know what's going on inside of you because I know how it feels from the inside. When we believe we are welcomed to come to God, this God at any time, with any weakness, then we understand Christmas. We understand the why behind Christmas. There's a quote I wanted to share. It's from an old theologian, John Calvin. He said, Therefore, when any trials pass over us, let it ever occur to us that nothing happens to us but what the Son of God has himself experienced in order that he might sympathize with us, nor let us doubt, but that he is at present with us as though he suffered with us. If you're struggling and feeling weak right now, be encouraged. A human being, we can sympathize, we can empathize, but here we are told that God himself sympathizes with your weakness. He wants you to bring it to him. There's a question we're meant to ask when we think about the Christmas story. What's more powerful? The force, the might, the strength of humanity at its highest power. The Roman Caesar or the humility and the helplessness and the vulnerability of the Son of God who was born as a baby. Who needed to be changed and burped like any other baby. As you read the story, it sure looks like at the time that Caesar is more powerful. He can say census and everybody has to obey. But... Who cares about Caesar Augustus now? Did anybody send a Mary Augustus card out any time this year? Do you know when Caesar Augustus was born? No. Yes, he's in the history books, but no one cares. This strong and powerful leader who could tell everybody what to do in all of his empire with one word is all but forgotten. But here we are, the entire world is celebrating the birth of Jesus who came so weak, so powerless, And so helpless. We might say sympathy. What is sympathy going to do for the world? Christmas asks us to step back and go, well, let's see. What has the sympathy of God done in this world? How powerful is it? You might be listening and think, well, if all this is true, why is it that some people who say they represent Christianity seem to think it's all about getting power and becoming strong and dominant in a culture, using political power to get dominance, measuring strength in numbers and wealth, etc.? And if you're hearing about that and you're hearing the story and you're thinking that's the complete opposite of Christmas, well, you're right. And we are all challenged and rebuked by that. The God of all power and strength came into the world weak and helpless. And if you're looking for signs of God at work, if you're a reporter at that time going, let's see, where is the power of God at work? You never would have known. You never, never would have guessed to look at the manger there in Bethlehem. Another quote from the great theologian, modern theologian, Esau McCulley. He says, it's exceedingly strange and seemingly ridiculous plan in a world drunk with the desire for power and filled with those who take what they want by force. The miracle of Christmas is one of weakness, not strength. It's a suggestion that divine love is more powerful than we think. Think about that. 
the miracle of Christmas. It's a phrase that we throw around a lot, the spirit of Christmas. What's the miracle of Christmas? It's that God's strength, excuse me, it's that God's weakness is stronger than human strength. 1 Corinthians 1.25. That love that enters into pain and weakness, love that sympathizes, love that empties itself in order that another might be filled, love that says what you can't do, I will do for you even though it costs me everything. That love, though it looks so weak, is the most powerful thing in the world. That's the miracle of Christmas. So God came to us in weakness. We come to him in weakness. Hebrews tells us that God did this so that we would come to him in weakness and receive mercy and find grace for our every need. Sounds good. But there's a problem with that, and that is, Nobody wants to be known as a weak person. You say, oh yeah, if somebody's talking about you, you would never want them to say, yeah, they're weak. They're helpless. They're small. Not much power. <laughs> no, we want to be known as somebody who's strong. Somebody who's able and tough and powerful. All of us would rather choose a story that went from weakness to strength rather than a story that went from strength into weakness. We love the origin stories of the great heroes of our time, like Spider-Man. Peter Parker, he's like a weak, nerdy kid. You know, he's getting picked on and bullied, but then he got bit by a spider, and he's went from weakness to strength. And now who's going to mess with him? Right? Or Steve Rogers, Captain America. He's like 90 pounds, and he wants to go fight a war. And it's like, dude, you can't. You're too weak, and you're sick. So he gets powered up from weakness to strength, and he becomes the mighty hero. That's the story we want, but Christianity says it's the other way around. The path to grow, the path and the way to God, the way to live with boldness in our great trials and in hardship is not weakness to strength, but from strength to weakness. That's what makes Christianity so different. Every other belief system and religion says the strong are in, the weak are out. The morally strong are in, the morally weak who can't cut it are out. The fittest are in, they survive. The weak, they're out. They didn't make the cut. But the gospel of God's kingdom says the strong are out and the weak are in. The proud are out and the humble are in. What do we bring to God to meet him with confidence? Not our strength, not our success, not the resume of all of our strengths, but the resume of all of our weaknesses. In 1 Corinthians 1.27, in that epistle, the Apostle Paul said, God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God has chosen what is insignificant and despised in the world, what is viewed as nothing, to bring to nothing what is viewed as something, so that no one may boast in his presence. The message of the gospel is this, that Jesus is the only one who never sinned in his weakness and temptation, and that we have access to God himself, Hebrews says, to the throne of God because of his perfect obedience, not because of our obedience and strength. It's his strength that is our confidence to bring us to God. So Christmas dispels the lie that only the strong can come to God because it tells us only those who come in weakness 
can come. So final few thoughts. The secret to a bold and confident and vibrant faith is all here in Christmas. The secret to a bold and vibrant relationship with God. It sounds paradoxical. It sounds backwards to us. But it says, come boldly in weakness. That's the secret. Come with all your temptations. The ones you resist and the ones that you don't. Bring it all. Boldly. The main difference between a Christian and a non-Christian, we could phrase it like this, to the question of why does God answer my prayers? Why does God help me when I ask Him to? Is it because of my strengths, how good I do, or the bad that I don't do? Or is it because I come in weakness through Jesus? The Christian knows it's the second. That's when God hears us and helps us only when we come in weakness through Christ. And the main difference between a growing Christian and a Christian who is not growing more mature and closer to God is this, whether you think the Christian life and the purpose and the goal is to grow out of weakness or whether you come to realize that the goal of the Christian life is to grow in weakness. One of the greatest sources of discouragement and burnout for Christians has been for me is the idea that outgrowing our weakness is what we need to have a bold and vibrant faith. That's wrong. Christmas says it's wrong. The truth is the more we grow to know God and His glory and His will, the more we will see our own weakness, the more we will see the mercy and the grace that is ours in Jesus. The Apostle Paul experienced this, and he tells us he prayed to God. He said, God, take away my weakness so I can be strong and do more for you. And he says, somehow Jesus told him clearly, no. No, I'm not doing that because my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. In that, and here is the secret for a vibrant and bold faith, a confident faith, a closeness to God. Paul says, so I will most gladly boast all the more about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may reside in me. One of the ways to tell whether someone is a genuine Christian or whether they are just talking, professing faith in Jesus. The Bible says that a main mark of a true Christian is over time having experienced the sympathy of Jesus for us and our weaknesses and our temptations and our failures. Over time, having experienced that, a true Christian grows in sympathy for other people and their weaknesses. Rather than judging them, or disdaining them, especially those with different weaknesses and temptations than we have ourselves. This is why Jesus says how you treat the weak. That's what shows whether you really know him or not. Growing up, our family had a nativity set. It was porcelain, and it went into the foyer every Christmas season. And my brother, I had one brother growing up, and we loved that set. It was like action figures of the nativity to play with them and there was a cow and there was a sheep and the shepherds and we like rearranged them every night you know we put the cow on top of the of the uh, of the stable there we put the sheep over there and did all that and every night it's going to sound very you know very very cute we took baby Jesus could come out of the manger and we would say good night baby Jesus and give him a kiss and put him back in the manger and somewhere along the way I don't know who did it if I did it or if my brother did it, but somewhere along the way, baby Jesus was dropped. 
onto the tile floor. And he shattered. And my mom says, okay, that's okay. And she took it and she glued Jesus back together so he could still have that nativity set. But he was cracked and he was broken from then on. And looking back on that, that memory that I have in my family, I realized what a perfect illustration of Christmas. Jesus, the Son of God, became weak. He became breakable. So that weak and breakable people would come to him with boldness, knowing that he sympathizes and can help. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for Christmas. Thank you that amidst all that goes on during this season and all that will go on tonight and tomorrow, there's something so profound and so needed for all of us that you show us, that you tell us, that you guarantee that the God who made us and everything is a God that is approachable because you came to us. You took on our weakness, our frailties, our limits, and our temptations, and having perfectly navigated away from the worst of all of them, you've made a way for us to you and to the Father. May that sink in. May that be driven home to our lives, especially in places where we feel weak right now. May it stay with us so that we know it's not our strength we bring to you, but it is our weakness. We give you great thanks and honor and praise, and we pray it in your powerful name. Amen.